Support begins in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Nurture and Support, a recommendation podcast sharing all the awesome since 2013. I'm Kelly Tool at K E L L Y T H U L on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Mel at Karmic9 on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> So, so how would you describe your Instagram use versus your Twitter use? I have not been on um, either really lately. I, I did try to get on Twitter today. And for those of you listening, today is February 13th that we're recording this. And the Mars rover, <laughs> rover <laughs> opportunity died today. So um, that's what I got on Twitter. And so I had to cry over a robot and then I got off Twitter. <laughs> so isn't there a chance that, first, first of all, I don't know how many, it's life, you know, it lived and ran a lot longer than anybody ever thought it would or yeah. that they had planned to. But I'm, if, and I haven't read the articles today, but I know in the past they've talked about the thing that was going to take it out was its solar panels getting covered with dust so it yeah. couldn't power up. So what if that gets blown off? Would it possibly recharge or not? Well, that's what they hoped would happen because it's been, I think, seven months or so since they've had a signal. Um, They were hoping the winds would uh, clear the solar panels. The way I understand is going to happen now without the solar panels to run the heaters, the components that make up Little Opportunity's brain will freeze and die because it's extraordinarily cold there. Any light, any sunlight that the rover is able to get that does hit the solar panels will go to trying to heat um, the little brain parts of opportunity. And so it more than likely will not be enough for the little rover to survive. So that's why they called it. That that kind of kind of felt like me about a couple weeks ago here. <laughs> <laughs> I I imagine I imagine it got pretty ugly for y'all up there. It it was you know when they start off we're not it's not unheard of uh, in my neck of the woods during the winter if you have a particularly cold day and wind to say hey it's 15 below outside with wind chill that's not unusual. What is unusual is when they start you off at okay so you're at about 20 below. Now we're going to add the wind chill. And that's like, that's not good. Yeah, I cannot imagine it being that cold. Yeah, It, it's it doesn't get that cold in Texas. <laughs> yeah, when the advice is, you know, if you're out for 10 minutes, you might die. <laughs> you know, that's like bad. So, but hopefully yeah. we're all over. Oh, well, if it makes you feel better, I, I just got an alert on my phone that it's supposed to be 78 here tomorrow. So our norm, we have been having 40 degree temperature shifts every day. <laughs> so that's fun. But hey, 78. Yeah, I think one day we actually had a 100 degree swing. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so that's nice. Yeah, the world we live in, folks. All right, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. I'll kick things off for this week. I think my recommendation will be pretty quick. And I think I've talked about these guys before. and I'm not sure if I've made a recommendation specifically for them. But it's the band Devo, and I came across through the, the wondrous Amazon Prime the other day. 
a, uh, a collection of their videos. It's called The Complete Truth About De-Evolution. And it captures really videos and songs that they did between 1976, which is really when Devo started, to 1990. And it was originally released on a laser disc. <laughs> so, a laser disc. <laughs> yes. Remember the day of late? Well, those were... Uh, so never had a laser disc player. I, I didn't either. They came and went so fast. I I never had one. I just remember walking into some of the kind of stores where you could buy all kinds of audio equipment and and different things, and there'd be this kind of section of the laser discs, and it's like ooh. ooh. But uh, can't say I've ever actually watched a laser disc. Nope, nope. Cool name for a technology most of us never experienced. But fortunately, it's also available on YouTube now, and basically everything's <laughs> out there. But this is a, a pretty comprehensive uh, listing of the D- Devo songs. And I know Devo somewhat has a reputation of being kind of a joke band or not really someone to be taken seriously. But as as I went back through it, I mean, I've always been a fan, but as I, I went through it, I go, actually, there's some pretty cool stuff here. This is enjoyable, different uh, music. And a, a wide variety of things. And it's just fascinating because they are obviously very out there visually and a lot of things. So you get to kind of see all of that. Uh, but the the one, it's a blessing and a curse. And I'll you know, we'll work with Mel to make sure we need to include a link to this um, in the blog post. One of the songs on here is called Worried Man. And uh, there's a Worried Man Blues by like Johnny Cash. And I, I think the actual author originally was like a Woody Guthrie type of thing. This is a variant of it, but I hadn't been really familiar with it. But talk about an earworm song. This is one that if you hear it, there's a highly strong likelihood, at least what happened to me, is when I went to bed that night, couldn't get out of my head. I wake up the next morning, and this thing is just going and going and going and going. <laughs> I couldn't shake it. So I want to share that pain with everybody. It's a good song. Right. If you're going to get something stuck in your head, it's a pretty good song to do that with. But the videos are typically highly creative Devo video. But what what it turned out, as I did a little bit of research on this, is a couple of the individuals early on who became aware of Devo and became advocates for Devo were David Bowie and Neil Young. And in fact, David Bowie was lined up to produce what became their first album. And then he ended up having conflicts and couldn't do it. So Brian Eno came in and Brian Eno actually produced the very first Devo album. These are all things I didn't know in terms of kind of groups and people I like kind of coalescing, but Neil Young liked them too enough that he, um, he created a film called human highway, which I'm not familiar with, but in it Devo is featured as nuclear waste garbage collectors in full Devo garb. Well, I mean, I, that's kind of the character they always play. Yeah, I mean, it fit well. <laughs> it was, it was, a, you know, it was in their wheelhouse without a doubt. And uh, I believe the video for Worried Man utilizes video from uh, from the movie as well. But it's a great, it's a great, so worth the price of admission only uh, if you want to do that. And you can certainly go and get these, uh, watch all these videos on YouTube. But catching this this um, collection of them on Prime or wherever else you can find it. It's just easier. You don't have to hunt and peck. And it's kind of nice because it they go pretty sequentially. There's a little hiccup here and there in terms of when they'll kind of jump back. But you mm-hmm. get to see kind of the whole thing through. But it's just lots of fun stuff and, and lots of different things. And I'm a big fan. And there were probably about five or six videos in here that I was not familiar with. So it was interesting to see. 
So if you're just kind of looking, it's only the 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 collection itself only runs just over an hour. It's like an hour and nine minutes long. So if you're looking to kind of just decompress and enjoy some good music, I recommend The Complete Truth About De-Evolution by Devo. And that's my recommendation for this week. That's cool. Now, for, for our younger viewers or listeners, Devo is the band in the yellow hazmat suits with the little red uh, cones on their head that 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 did whip it whip it good (laughs) yeah and there's on the devo site there's um instructions on if you're going to have that hat how to appropriately wear it for it to channel your mental energy (laughs) which i just thought it was a goofy hat but they got all kinds of stuff on that yeah i i didn't realize it had a purpose cool so the one disappointment possibly because none of these people were born when there were laser discs i don't believe are you familiar with devo 2.0 at all mel uh no no i don't think i am so let's say i'm pitching this plan to you and you're the disney channel okay okay (laughs) hey let's get a bunch of child actors to dress in a hipster version of devo and lips lip well i guess they sang they sang, but they didn't play any of the instruments. And we'll have Devo actually record the music, but we will have Devo 2.0, and it'll be this group of preteens singing Devo songs. What do you think about that? Oh, my God. Did that really happen? It happened. And if you oh. do if you do okay. searches, we can probably include a, uh, one of those videos as well in the blog post. But it's- Yeah, because I'm going to have to see a hipster version of Devo. <laughs> Yeah, it uh, and the lead singer, it's a it's a, a young lady, and she she brings the Devo, not quite in the kind of autonomous, you know, kind of very kind mm-hmm. of robotic voice uh, that is typically associated with Devo, but it's it's a thing. <laughs> it's interesting to watch, and they make little uh, little tweaks here and there. Devo is never particularly racy in their lyrics or challenging in their lyrics, but. Um, there are things like uh, in one of the songs where the ending lyric is. And the dog died, uh, it changed to, and the dog dropped. You know, so they kind of Disneyed it up here and there. <laughs> they, they actually improved the word ninnies. They, they had, there's a, and we're through being cool. Uh, it's like, forget about the ninnies and the creeps. Uh, they they felt that ninnies was too objective, objectionable, and they made some modification of that as well. So, but, <laughs> but yeah, I'll include, I'll uh, shoot you a link to one of those as well. Uh, it's kind of nightmarish a little bit. I mean, the, the kids do a, it's kind of fun to watch, but it's still very, very strange. And uh, typically, if you are going to search on YouTube for it, capital D E V, the number two dot O is how you can most easily find Devo 2.0, which didn't last very long. <laughs> so. Well, but that's interesting. I guess I guess I'll retract my my previous statement. I guess the kids do know who Devo is. <laughs> they they might be more familiar with Devo 2.0 in <laughs> their well, body of work. But. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I'm I guess I'm ashamed to say that I only know the one song. <laughs> I mean, you, I could recognize Devo anywhere because that was a that was a big part of my childhood. But um. Yeah, I can't think of a song other than Whip It. I can't get no satisfaction. That was one that Devo did? Yeah, not originally, but they, they okay. did a cover they, they did a cover of it. Okay, I can't I can't in my head remember what it sounds like from them. It sounds I know like, the original. 
<laughs> it's a pretty good cut in my opinion, but it definitely okay. sounds like Devo singing, um, Devo singing, I can't get no satisfaction. And huh. ironically, they performed that on Saturday Night Live the week after the Rolling Stones were on Saturday Night Live. Oh, see, that that was probably in my formative years when um, I had as much trouble getting TV as I do Internet now. <laughs> you have you have led a media challenged life, Mel. <laughs> I have. I have. That's why I'm so strange. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, there were, there were significant parts of my childhood where we lived too far from town to get decent TV. <laughs> so anyway, that's, uh, cool. So I'm going to have to expand my Devo knowledge. Um, that sounds cool. And it's on prime, which of course yes, indeed. I'm a prime person. So my recommendation this week also has some relation to Amazon. It's a book I found on Amazon. And um, I'm ashamed to say that I haven't finished this series yet. I'm on book two. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you about book one because I haven't heard of this book before. And I was really, really impressed. Um, reading's probably my, my main, <laughs> since we were talking about my media consumption problems, reading is my main form of entertainment. <laughs> so usually through um, Twitter or a booktube, as the book community on YouTube calls themselves. I usually hear about a lot of stuff, but I had never heard of this particular author or series. So the author is Elise Kova, and that's K-O-V-A. This series is called The Loom Saga, L-O-O-M, Loom Saga. And the first book is The Alchemist of Loom. I'm pretty sure that I have mentioned my love for steampunk on this show before. And this is... It's hard to describe. This is definitely a spin on steampunk, but it's different than most of the steampunk I have come across. So if you're not familiar with steampunk, the technical definition is it's a subgenre of science fiction, or it's easier to think of kind of as a science fantasy type thing that incorporates technology and aesthetic designs inspired by 19th century industrial steam-powered machinery. And that's a definition straight from Wikipedia. Most of the steampunk out there um, kind of revolves around a Victorian or Edwardian type uh, society, culture, that kind of stuff. This particular story is a little bit different than that. It's it's very much fits into that that phrase science fantasy because it's kind of a, a mishmash of a science fiction fantasy type world. So what we have going on here is uh, we have two races of people that it's still a little ambiguous about whether it's we're talking about a planet or we're talking about some sort of metaphysical type world. Anyway, you've got people that live up above the cloud line, which there seems to be some sort of magical barrier that separates the above the clouds from the actual ground below and the people who live there. So the people that live above the clouds, I don't know that I have been told a specific name for their people, but they call themselves dragons, but they're not the kind of dragons that we think of as dragons. They're not, um, they don't have wings, for one. They're basically humanoid people with uh, retractable claws and pointy ears. But one of their biggest traits is 
each family or house has a distinctive um, skin color. So you've got your red ones and your blue ones and your green ones. I think those are the only ones I've been um, exposed to so far through book one. But uh, one of the blurbs on this series is Bustle Magazine named this story as one of the one of their top fantasy type books to read while you were waiting for a new season of Game of Thrones. So I'm going to say I don't exactly equate this with uh, Game of Thrones. Um, well, you do. I mean, you do have the, the Targaryens who right. not only had dragons, but Targaryens who are humanoid, clearly, uh, were, <laughs> were, uh, were, refer- were referred to as dragons as well. So yeah. maybe that's a piece of it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to take it just from the the um, enjoyment factor. I am sure that they're trying to make that that um, that connection through the types of houses that they have. Um, that are at each other's throats with a bunch of political maneuvering and the fact that they are somewhat dragon-like. So they're going to put that in a list of, of Game of Thrones type books. This, while I think you could maybe classify it as an epic fantasy, is not on the epic Game of Thrones kind of field. Uh, I really, I, I really enjoyed this story. It was really very surprising. So you've got your dragons who, those people also are magical. So they live kind of up in this sort of um, fairy tale type world above the clouds. There are land masses that apparently float and little islands of land masses where they live and they're magical. Down below the clouds on the earth, you've got a group of other humanoid people that call themselves Fin Three, and they are all um, shades of gray, which I, I thought was a, a neat kind of thing. So we don't really have humans versus elves here or humans versus dragons. We've got these two distinct types of people that have particular groups of of houses that we're dealing with so the steampunk fashion comes into the group of fin three that live on the ground they're very scientific based they're the ones using steam power and science and alchemy and they have these guilds so their houses are in the form of um, trade guilds and that's how they structure their their power structure well They have this neat ability of being able to take organs or body parts from the dragon people and actually replacing parts of their bodies with that and thereby gaining magic and special abilities from it, which then they used with their steampunkishness to create all sorts of cool mishmashes of science and magical machinery. Um, the only downside to all of this is that the dragons took over and now rule both um, above and below now. And they've imposed their will on the Fin Three living on the ground. And um, so this is basically a story of rebellion. I guess much like Game of Thrones, you've got a bunch of political maneuvering, people resisting, um, using cool steampunk magical weapons to get what they want. So it's it's really 
it's different. It was really a different, a different kind of story. So if any, if you like steampunk, or even if you just like fantasy books, I think you'd really like this book um, in this series. Like I said, I'm, I'm in book two. I'm about halfway through book two. I don't want to give too much of the story away, but um, it revolves around a main character who's already lived through one rebellion that got squashed at uh, pretty tragically to her and so she lives for revenge against the dragon king and um, and so this is her story of how that comes about and so you've got just a few main characters one of the other issues that sets it apart from game of thrones is you don't have a million characters to keep straight so it's um much more enjoyable in that in that respect than game of thrones but they describe meals in exquisite detail, which I know is always like your favorite part. Yeah. Game of Thrones, no, right? no, nope. no, they, they actually, they don't. They don't. Now, if you like violence and you like a bunch of fighting and ripping out of hearts, this is the book for you. Because in the dragon culture, they, uh, they really don't use weapons um, to fight amongst themselves and to feed into that whole dragon kind of nature of of their kind they fight with their claws and and bleeding and eating the the hearts of your your vanquished foe is a big thing in their society that's what you do to take on their magic and their power so if you've got um body horror problems if that's a trigger issue for you this is probably not a story that you want to read but i really found it just really different and very entertaining. I really like it. And another plus to it is it's got some really cool cover art. That's probably one of the things that drew it to me. I think I got to this um, by just a, a recommendation on Amazon. And I know I had seen it before, but I really hadn't stopped to look at it. So if you happen to be a Kindle Unlimited member, which <laughs> like many of these membership things these days is another thing that you you pay Amazon I think it's 10 bucks a month you can read this for free with your paid Kindle Unlimited subscription so the whole series is available either individually each book or there is a collection um, with all three books in it that you can get for one of your Kindle Unlimited um, little books that you get so it's the Alchemist of Loom by Elise Kova, and I meant to look up who the cover artist was, um, and I didn't. I'm sorry. I'll try to put that in the um, blog post if I can find any info on them, because I really, really, really do like the artwork on the covers of these books. Each cover carry um, is depicts one of the main characters in the story. So the first of book one is Ariana, the, uh, the kind of the main character the one who's seeking revenge, who was in the previous rebellion and uh, lost everyone she cared about in that rebellion. She's on the first cover. Um, the second cover has one of the dragon characters on it. And then the third cover is another one of the, the Fen three on it. But they're really cool covers. And it's hard to tell from from looking at it until you read the description about it being kind of steampunky. Um, it looks like a fantasy story. Um, except for the alchemist part. That's kind of a giveaway that you're dealing usually with steampunk. But um, it's really cool. 
I really love the covers. I am disappointed in myself that I hadn't read this series sooner because I think it came out, um, yeah, it looks like in 2017. So I'm behind. I feel left out, but I'm catching up. So I was really impressed. I was really impressed by this book. I really liked it. It was very different, um, even for steampunk. And I read a lot of steampunk, which um, this was just really, it was a really good take on kind of that genre, um, mixing a lot of fantasy into it. And I really like the combination. It worked really well. And I'm highly impressed. Well, as usual, I have a number of questions and comments. Okay. <laughs> so, so first of all, so what's your reaction to? So I originally thought when you started to talk about Alchemists of Loom and steampunk, but not quite steampunk, I thought it might be a new genre called yarn punk. But I guess not. <laughs> so, so. No, if I find some yarn punk, though, I will definitely read that. So if you come across any yarn punk, y'all definitely, you know, ping me on that because I'm totally interested in that. I think that could be a thing. That'd be pretty I, awesome. I think it could be. Maybe I'll have to. I'll have to work on writing that or something. So second, Mel's long-established steampunk fandom uh, has been present within uh, nurturing support kind of all the way through and she was kind enough at some point to share with me an amazing piece of work called clockwork angels which rush was involved with in terms of it was a rush album but then it's also uh, a, a novel and mm-hmm. what was what was even better is mel got me um the audio version of it so i didn't have to read which was great <laughs> <laughs> but that that's fantastic and in terms it, it's really my my deepest introduction to steampunk and it was just fantastic. So yeah, props again. And thanks for that. Yeah. I, I really like steampunk and it's been around for a really long time. And I, I know I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying something about, um, you know, they, they thought steampunk was, was over. I was like, steampunk is never going to die. Steampunk and post-apocalyptic have been around forever and they're, they're always going to be around. Um, You know, I don't know what we called it when I was a kid, which was a really long time ago, y'all. But I remember seeing uh, things that we would call steampunk now back then. And I I was too ignorant back then to probably know what we called it. But steampunk's been around forever. And it's it's just a it's a genre you can do so much with because there are no rules. So it can be steampunk runs the gamut from being a lot like what we would consider our traditional real life Victorian era that, that we, not we live through, but you know, <laughs> our predecessors. I might, through. I might've, <laughs> I don't know. I have to go back and check I'm the not, dates. I'm not quite that old, but you know, we've all seen those movies um, to, to like this one who incorporates just a, a great deal of fantasy into it. A, a whole lot of anime incorporates steampunk into it. So if you're an anime fan, you've, you've seen this, whether they called it that or not. Um, so I love steampunk. It's really cool. But this was a really good take on it that um, I, hadn't, I hadn't really come across. So it did a really good job of mixing science and the fantasy elements into it of all of your steam powered stuff with actual magic, which, you know, that sounds like a bunch of other stuff that's out there, but we're not really dealing with a Edwardian Victorian type 
society other than there was a token top hat in like the first chapter or so because uh, you can't have steampunk without a top hat but um I think it was just a nod to the steampunk genre to begin with so it hasn't reappeared but maybe it will again later so but it was really good it was a really good book I was really highly impressed with it um and so I hadn't heard of it before so I thought I would share it sounds because it's cool it sounds awesome and my last one uh, is now, now Mike, uh, our good friend, Mike has, we have mutually agreed that the fans of squat cobbler are referred to as squatties. So Mike and I are in agreement that that's what they're called. Uh, <laughs> Mike has taken it upon himself to define the people who like nurture and supports support as supporters, which I, which I did not sign off on. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, I'm kind of still leaning more towards nerds. But, uh, you know, I don't I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But I, I feel like I feel like a nerd. <laughs> a nerd. I think nerd works better. I was, I'll, I'll correct his thinking next time it comes up on that. Okay. So so this is me asking Mel and the nerds for some input. Uh, I think as folks may know, if they've listened to to our podcast, I do some cosplay activity. And given the highly favorable price point of Kylo Ren helmets, I have taken to to converting those into different things. So I did a Kylo Negan, which was like zero changes to the helmet, a, co- a combo of the Night King uh, from Game of Thrones and Kylo Ren. And I'm just finishing up a Joker-Kylo Ren combination right now. And so that's super close to done. So I'm beginning to think about my next one, which a suggestion was given to me at one point in time to do Beetlejuice next which I thought might be pretty interesting to do. But mm-hmm. a lot of things visually, the, the helmet's going to end up looking pretty similar to the Joker one because you get the white face and the kind of crazy hair and, and some things there. Mm-hmm. But would be interested in your thoughts, Mel, and the, the nerds input on should my next one, instead of being Beetlejuice, be a steampunk Kylo Ren? I love me some steampunk. That could be that could be pretty fun because you could do some really cool things with the the lightsaber, the cross hilt lightsaber, and mm-hmm. the helmet. You could do some. Yeah, I'm gonna have to keep thinking about that. But if anybody's got any input to whether I should go Beetlejuice or steampunk, which I'm trying to. So you know, I had Night King of Ren, um, Kylo Negan, Night King of Ren, Joker Ren, or kind of so far. But if I do a steampunk one. I don't know if that's Kylo Punk or <laughs> Steam Run or what that is. Yeah, I mean, cause you you could do that. You could do uh, you could do the helmet in a in a copper. Yep. And um, you had a couple extra gears or yeah. dials or those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And- or or I had I, I I really like the steampunk one. So you can make a list. Um, I had a thought. <laughs> I meant to tell you about doing it with uh, um, Jason Voorhees. <laughs> Ooh, I like I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. That would also it, probably be easy from a paint job on the helmet. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think I think that could work too. So, mm. but yeah. So Super Kelly's gonna have to make make a list for his Kylo helmets, and when he gets tired of working on one, he can work on the other. But yeah. but That's yeah. Cool. I like steampunk in, in all of its variations. There, I probably don't come across hardly any steampunk that I don't at least enjoy in some fashion. Some of it's really lighthearted. This story in particular is a little, a little dark, very bloody, <laughs> but um, 
very violent, but it's it's good stuff. It might be a good tagline to add to nurture and support. A little dark, very bloody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're very nurturing and supportive. Yeah. So, cool. So we'll move, uh, we'll kind of wind things down here uh, with social media recommendations. Mel, do you have one for this week? No, no. I got on, like I said, I got on Twitter, but then I ended up crying over a rover and I had to get, I had to get offline. <laughs> that, that's understandable. It is a, it's a sad day. It is well, a sad day. I'm going to do the lazy man uh, recommendation on social media, tie it back to my recommendation. So if you're on Twitter and you want to follow at D-E-V-O, I would highly recommend that. Uh, Their cover photo uh, for their Twitter account. The actual official name, bonus information for you you folks uh, listening to Nurturing Support, is the Energy Dome. The hats that they wear, the little pyramid-y things, are called Energy Domes, which are supposed to capture your brain waves and drive them back into your brain and increase your aptitude for those types of things. (laughs) It's supposed to increase something. Something. We uh, don't know what. Traditionally red. The energy dome is traditionally you know, the classic energy dome is a traditionally red dome. Uh, they did sport a very jaunty aqua colored energy dome for when they performed at the Winter Olympics. And then the cover photo on the Twitter account is, and I forget what event this was at, but it was the highly rare orange energy dome. So uh. you'll be able to kind of sec that up. But Kind of a fun one. It's still an active account. They posted two days ago. So uh, follow at (laughs) D-E-V-O. And whip it, whip it gay. There you go. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. You can contact us on our website, nurtureandsupport.net, or email us at nurtandsup at gmail.com. That's N-U-R-T-A-N-D-S-U-P-P at gmail.com. Or tweet us at nurtandsup on Twitter. You can also catch Nurture and Support on YouTube. Just search Nurture and Support or Kelly Tool. Nurturing and supporting. Terminated.